Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here. And today I have Mr. Ken Korber with me. Hello, Ken. Hi, Robbie. How are you? Good to I be am... with you. Yes, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon. Um, life is good. I'm going to learn some stuff from you. So I'm excited to have you. Um, you want to kick us off and, and introduce yourself however you would like to? Sure. I can give you the quick the quick uh, summary. So, so I'm a, a healthcare provider, physician assistant for 22 years. And part of the challenge in that working in that environment is never having enough time to talk to your patients or their families, because it's a 10 minute office visit at the best, right? So, so I was always trying to figure out a way of, of trying to extend that conversation with my patients and their families. Um, and I thought that maybe a children's book idea would be a way to kind of do that as part of a bedtime reading story. So I I jumped off the cliff and tried to write a, uh, a children's book and the musical Adventures of Grace um, became published along with uh, two other stories about Grace and her musical adventures. And then I had this group of characters who were sitting there smiling up at me and I said, oh, maybe I can use them as a way to kind of bridge my, my previous career now that I'm a published children's book author and I'm sort of pivoting and, and I said, let's use the characters to create spin-off stories that were health related. So that's where the reading skills, the music appreciation with vocabulary and then health promotion came into play. And that gave me a niche in the marketplace and it's sustained me for the last five years. So I got myself a little business going. So it's fun. That is beautiful. I'm going to have to, uh, talk to you after we hit record because I'm my 18 year old niece and I are thinking of doing something to help teenagers and parents communicate. There's Absolutely. Oh, I, I, I totally would be your advocate for that. And and I would, I promote your book to my publisher. I mean, I, it's, that would be awesome to do something yeah. like that. Yeah. Cause her and I get along really good, but I treat her with a different level of respect, right? Like it's not a parental I'm protective, but I also know she needs to blossom. Um, and it sounds like you you found these voids with with children getting the right information, and it's a yeah, and, and extending the conversation, just something as basic as that. Um, and then you know the win win then is oh by the way, if we have new characters that help them learn how to read when they're three to six years old, that's that's perfect, you know. So it's most good. children's books now I don't have kids, so take yeah. it take me with a grain of salt. But most children's books aren't really educational, right? Like it's so that's part of the reason why I got. I got brought in as a, as an author for the publisher is because I, I, I have this, this crazy career of healthcare behind me. And now I'm sort of melding it together with children's stories in a way that is, you know, health literacy related, you know, it, it, it explains things in words that a three and six year old three to six year old group would understand, as opposed to trying to have the adults um, translate adult conversations to their kids when they get home. You know, it's just a tool. It's a resource and a tool. And it's, I try to make it fun filled and I try to kind of give kids um, something they can engage with. And Grace and her friends seem to be working pretty well from that perspective. I love that you can hit a wide audience too. Like when you, when you started talking about the being in the doctor's office, you only had X amount of time. So you, your reach is extraordinary. Yeah, I mean that was the goal. That was the 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 aha moment for me was it wasn't just writing a book and getting it published, you know, as a picture book. It was actually a way to kind of create stories that were 
promoting health for the next generation of people, right? And, uh, you know, we all realize that, you know, adults trying to get them to change their behaviors is is almost um, a horrible thing to do and is never successful. So if you can create a little spark within a three-year-old, you know, because Grace tells them not to eat um, bad foods or, or to think about music a little more as a fun way to approach it, you never know. They, they might become uh, musicians later on or they might you know, start to think about eating less sugar and less salt in their diets. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'd love to dive into that because most of my interviews where we we visit the food space, it's never been really a specific, like I talk a lot about sugar addiction because I think I traded my alcohol and my sugar definitely ramped up. You know, I'm a dessert kind of girl. So you hitting the young ones to teach them, like I'm I'm envisioning a, a little one talking to their mother and being like, well, no, I can't eat that. Grace said I couldn't eat that. Yes, exactly. They then, he, then they teach the adults in the family that, you know, here's a better way to eat <laughs> because yeah. Grace told me something in the story. Yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. So you have a lot of experience um, with this, with the sugar and, and we talked a little about salt. So give me your, I won't even ask you a question. I'll let you start the conversation so that we go where we want to go. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, so being in, in just primary care, family practice kind of a setting, obesity is an epidemic across the country and, and across the world. now. So um, the numbers that we've I've seen recently is that more, about two thirds of, of young patients or young kids, um, toddlers, adolescents, preteens, um, 66 percent are obese in this country. And it's not, you know, not not directly to stuff that they choose to to eat or not eat i mean sometimes it's just the environment and sometimes it's just the cost of trying to put you know food on the table that kind of a thing but you know when when i see and we see those kinds of numbers at two-thirds of the population five percent of the population uh, has an obesity problem then you got to start thinking about uh intervening and interacting with them in a way that is proactive and helps them change their behavior. So you got to give them information and knowledge first, um, because it seems to be more of a problem with women than men, like 7% versus 3%. Um, but it's, it's, it's a big problem with kids. And the kids are where we can intervene uh, from a from a fun perspective and from a way that that will have um huge benefits when they become adults um, down the road and they're healthier and they're not overweight and, and they're they're They feel better about themselves and they're not um, behaving in a way that's their brain is stimulated with the reward kind of, a, of, of a setting because they, they eat processed foods and high glycemic carbohydrates, you know, those kinds of things. So, you know, the reason why your grandmothers say fruits and vegetables were good for you is, is, is true because it's not processed food and it doesn't trigger the brain to do things that are bad for you later on in terms of behaviors. I want to go back just a step, just to be really crystal clear for the audience and for me. Sure. What is your definition of obese? When you're saying obese, what are you, is there a certain standard? So the, the numbers that are out there from the CDC and, and all those other sort of uh, institutional things is if, if your BMI is greater than 24, that's overweight. If your BMI is 30, then you're officially categorized or labeled as, as being obese. Now that is changing 
in the recent in recent years because they're saying that BMI is really not a good calculation for obesity. Um, so it's better to to look at your your weight circumference versus your height uh, as a way to calculate um, whether or not you're 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 overweight or you're obese or you're you're at normal weight or you're underweight those kinds of things so as part of the whole development curve for kids so so it's um it's changing a little bit from that perspective because the bmi was not really um sensitive enough or or, or didn't inc didn't incorporate um things that were relevant like waist circumference you know for for people so so with the, the kind of the definition has refined and, and uh, been changing over the years but it's still you know, something visible that you can see in people for the most part. Um, you know, if you're if you're six foot tall and 150 pounds, you're probably a little underweight, you know. But if you're, you know, five foot two and 250 pounds, then you probably need to be, you know, counseled and, and sort of brought into a conversation that kind of helps you eat better and behave better in terms of what you're choosing for, for eating. And sometimes it's just portion control, you know, eating less, you know. Eating every two hours as opposed to, you know, a giant 2000 calorie meal for dinner and 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 sugar coated cereal for breakfast. You know, those kinds of things. I mean, it's, it's those kinds of educational um, key messages that we want to um, explain to people. And then that usually sets up time for other questions that they then start to start thinking about. You know, should I drink coffee? How much alcohol should I drink? You know, all those things that kind of are related to it. Wow. Thank you. I, I remember the BMI charts. Yeah. And and it seemed like five foot six and you were supposed to be less than like 135 pounds, which so that's why I asked you what right. your definition was, because I feel like we're getting more <clears throat> educated or looking at things a little different. Um, so thank you for that. You bring up cereal and and <laughs> habits and and actually, even before I dive into because I, I would really be curious about what you think alter good alternatives are and practices, but I actually want to dive in specifically. Now, I was told that what I'm about to say is offensive by somebody. So let me under let me put it out there that I understand that. But when I was growing up, it was cereal. It was processed like the meats and all of those things. And there are certain things now as an adult, I won't eat. And I refer to them as poor people food. And I know that that's why we had them because we were poor people and mom was making that dollar stretch. And right. it's so disturbing as someone who now walk, like even walking into an Aldi, Aldi has organic and all this stuff, but probably 80% of the store and I'm not throwing stones at them, but the price saving stuff is the cereals, the um, the, the cookies, like right. every convenience store, every supermarket, like right. it's just everywhere. So can you share maybe two things, how to combat it? And then maybe some like, is there a mental component or like, what does it look like to combat it? I guess let's start there. See, I'm excited about this topic. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's it's you're absolutely right, and and it is, it is environmental in a big way. Um, so if there's you know if there's uh, no access to organic fruits and vegetables in your neighborhood, or if there's no food available and you have to go drive twenty minutes to get there on public transportation to get to a an Aldi or some other 
grocery store to get food. You're going to go with the most convenient way to do it. And that's why the fast food chains are making billions of dollars is because, you know, the hamburgers out there are, you know, are easy to get and they satisfy the need. And then the parents can deal with all the other issues of raising kids uh, instead of worrying about what kind of menu to create for their for their meals that day. Right. Because they just don't have time. Um, a lot of it's education in terms of what's good, what's bad for you. Um, so so a general approach that we do in a clinical in the clinic setting, regardless of who the patients are, we say, number one, uh, let's reduce the portion of what you eat every day. So then we start thinking about, you know, what does a size a, a two ounce or three ounce size of meat look like as opposed to a giant, you know, steak or something that they're going to eat or hamburger that they're going to eat. Just so just by cutting back on the size of the food portions that are on their plate, um, you can help them lose weight. And then once that starts, then it's positive reinforcement. You can even just change the size, tell them to change the size of the plate that they use from a 12 inch dinner plate to a 10 inch dinner plate. And you can't put as much food on top of it unless you start stacking it really high. So so there's 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 those sort of real world kinds of solutions to a, to a potential problem. The other then you once they get into that whole thing of portion control and they they start to see positive effects, like they'll lose like maybe three pounds in two weeks kind of a thing by doing nothing but changing the size of what they're eating, even though what they're eating may still be bad for them. Um, that's a positive um, observation that you then reinforce big time um, in terms of, of kind of keeping them going on this positive path to wellness and eating better to improve their overall general health. Um, once you get beyond the portion control stuff, then you can start talking about, well, there's too much sugar in this, this, and this. And that's why fruits and vegetables are good because they're not high glycemic carbohydrates. So there's the good carbohydrates and the bad carbohydrates. There's the good sugar and the bad sugar. And all the bad sugar and the bad carbohydrates are, are in the processed food that we conveniently can pick up anywhere for cheap, right? So so you kind of have to kind of get their minds to start thinking about what they're putting in their mouth as opposed in addition to the size of the plate that they're eating from. And then once that happens, then they, they'll notice that they start losing more weight. And then you start to say, okay, that's great. You just lost five pounds this month by eating better than you used to last month. Let's get you on an exercise program. So then you start eating and exercise as, as sort of a lifestyle change. But the trick is to just not say, okay, I want you to sign up for a marathon and I want you to start training for a marathon. <laughs> you, know, you don't do that for sure. So what so it's, I, it's little things it's like walking around the block is is very helpful for you right it'll help them lose weight and it's good for their heart right and and, and their other system so so it's 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 those little steps in a positive direction that the whole family can do so it's not like just isolated to one or two people in the family which you know makes them feel you know bad about having to do it themselves just have the whole family involved um and then you can go on and on and on and, and end up teaching them how to grow organic gardens in their house, you know, those kinds of things, you know, where the food then becomes something that they grow themselves and then they can eat better foods because it's right there. I love that. I was just talking to one of my employees yeah. today and he's like, I want to bring my four-year-old to my job to help water the plants. Yeah, and and it can great. be playtime, quality time, which totally helps the mental piece too. Right. Because I right. think such a big part of any addiction, um, 
food, any of it has to do with coping, right? right. Um, and what I love about everything that you just said is you're talking about it from a health and a wellness perspective. Because when I hear lose weight in kids, I, what I wrote down was like beauty. Like it's not about yeah. that image thing. It's about making them strive to feel good, not making them feel bad for being overweight. Those are two different things. Right, right. I, we don't, we, we try to stay away from that confrontational kind of a, kind of an approach and, and the whole self-awareness thing initially until there's a little more positive um, elements in their lives that they can relate to because that becomes the self-fulfilling and self-perpetuating kind of behavior change. Yeah. The, the, the self-awareness, the, the society's, you know, expectations of, being young and beautiful and skinny kind of a thing. I mean, all that stuff is, is a whole nother dimension of, of kind of what you can, what you may have to deal with because you ask them periodically along the way. So how's it going? You know, how are you, how are you feeling about X, Y, and Z? And, and X, X might be that whole, you know, societal expectation of what you should look like, you know, mm -hmm. your self-worth based on other people's perception. So, so, I mean, you kind of can get into that whole thing. If it, if it becomes something important for them or if it's a trigger for them to kind of revert back to bad behavior. I think Grace, like if this is the kind of stuff that Grace is teaching in the books, I think that helps with the delivery of the message, right? Yes, so it doesn't absolutely. feel all that way. It's right. more of a, a good example. Right. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of these books is to be positive and uh, engagement resources for the adults that are going to read them to the young kids that are just learning how to read. So, so it, it be, the bedtime story then becomes a fun time and a time when uh, Grace becomes part of the family because Grace is is the is the character that's going to resonate with the youngster as they're learning how to read, um, and then all her friends will help. So it becomes this little tiny community of Grace and her friends and the reader. And then the parents can can actually then bring in their own interpretations of how grace can help, you know, in terms of, you know, different aspects of the kids' lives, whether it's bullying or, or there's anything that's related to wellness in kids is fair game for me to, to create a story with using grace and her friends as positive um, role models uh, for a way to kind of deal with the stuff that's happening to the kids as they're growing up, you know. And oh, by the way, they're learning how to read at the same time. So it's kind of a win-win, right? It really is. Well, yeah. the other the other win that I don't know is obvious, and I guess it would depend on your belief system. I'm coming to believe this through my spiritual practice. And then there's been a lot of medical experts that are saying that by the time they're seven years old, like all that stuff that's happening up until seven is where we get the belief system that right. does make us feel less than or the beauty stuff or not right. having the right healthy practices to be healthy adults. So right. it's really beautiful that it's a prevention piece from your end. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, we hope that um, we are serving a, a good purpose, you know, with, with, you know, it's not all about sales of books, kind of a, you know, kind of an approach. It's more about, you know, how can we institute some good general values into Grace and their friends as storybook characters. And then, give them a story that's fun to read and learn about. And then, you know, they'll become good citizens, you know, when they're 18 years old, hopefully. <laughs> uh, 
Can you tell me a little about the music, why you brought music into the stories? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. The, um, so my wife and I are health people. My wife's a nurse and, and I was a, a PA for many years. Um, my son, however, is a music guy and he knows nothing and wants to know nothing about medicine or nursing or any, or even science for that matter. But <laughs> So he became, he told us when he was um, eight years old that he wanted to play the cello in the middle school orchestra because the orchestra director visited the kids in school and said, oh, we need cello players and here, try it out. And so he came home and said he liked the cello. So we said, great. So we signed him up for the cello thing, assuming that when he got to high school, it would all disappear, right? So so because of sports and girls and everything else that high school kids are dealing with, right? So uh, when he got to be, so we played in middle school uh, um, from fifth grade to eighth grade. And then ninth grade, when he went to high school, he said he wanted to continue and he needed a better cello. So that was kind of a way. And then we started taking him to concerts to kind of see if he was really interested in classical music. Um, so we were fortunate from that perspective to be um, in Chicago and um, exposed to free concerts in the parks and, and those kinds of things where we could actually have him go. And we noticed that he kind of sat, sat there watching these concerts and these orchestras play completely still for like two and a half hours being a 14 year old, which was like, Oh my God. Oh yeah. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> so then we knew it was a serious sort of avocation from his perspective. So long story short, um, he kept playing the cello through high school went to college, became a music education and music performance major in college. And he is now a music director of a fifth and sixth grade orchestra up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, so he's, and he, and he plays cello uh, in an orchestra as well, um, as well as teaching it. So, so he's kind of gone the whole way in, in the whole music thing. So part of that experience from his parents' perspective was when he came home for Christmas one, one summer or one, um, December, he had all his music with him, all his music sheets that he was going to practice. And I noticed on one of the music sheets that there was a little tiny note next to bigger notes uh, as part of the normal music that he would be reading for his for the pieces that he would play. So I asked him what this little note was, and he said it was a grace note. And I said the next day, I woke up and I said, oh, my God, it's like an underdog story, a little note that wanted to be a big note. Right. So then I started scribbling down an idea for a story about that. But then as time went on, it then became the little Grace note who then was transformed into being a little girl named Grace because of the magic of a holiday concert that she went to as the Grace note on the page. So so then that whole thing, Grace as a little tween aged girl then developed and what she looks like and all that. And and. Then I said, oh, let's try to write a little story about this concert, this holiday concert. So I did that and I I, I sent it to um, a bunch of publishers and they all turned it down. And I, I met this one patient of mine who uh, knew the publishers of Eckert's Press here in Chicago. And, I, and she, he said, send it to them. They'll, they'll, they, may, they may like it because you're a local author. So I sent it to them and they said, this is very cool because it's kind of a niche marketplace. It's a children's book, but it's reading music together. And uh, that's not done in one story kind of a kind of approach. They're done separately as separate stories. Like there's music stories and there's 
um, reading, you know, reading stories with new, with new characters, but never, never mixed together. So, so we thought, oh, they thought that they could sell books, my books, because of that little niche in the marketplace. And I said, well, I got some other ideas for books. You know, now that I'm officially one of your authors, so <laughs> let me uh, let me kind of give them to you, and we can see where that goes. So, so three years later, four years later, I have ten published art, uh, stories uh, about the musical adventures of Grace and her friends, and then the spinoff uh, characters and stories then kind of grew from that. So that was what we were talking about before that about the health related stuff. Um, but I also have Grace. Um, meeting animal friends like laugh laugh with larry the giraffe and grace helps marvin the moose get his first haircut you know i mean so there's other other stuff that's kind of been percolating um that is being published you know here in chicago uh for me and it's, it's a great great opportunity for me to kind of keep doing that work i love it how yeah. hard is it to take your very well educated brain <laughs> and write to be able to communicate to children. Like when you just said the the laugh, laugh and the moose, and I'm like, yeah. how do you think like that? Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I, I, I've been sort of a science person all my life. So the creativity piece for me was never something like my son who's interested in music, right? Um, I was never a painter or anything like that uh, growing up, but my dad was kind of creative. He, he would do wood carvings and painting and stuff. So we kind of saw that stuff growing up in the house. Um, this, this whole children's book idea um, might be my creative outlet now that I've sort of let it happen. So, I mean, cause I can, I can create stories pretty quickly. Um, I've done medical writing before, but that's very boring, dry kind of stuff, right? And in medical journals and stuff. So I kind of knew how to physically and, and structurally write, you know, write an article or something like that. But to write a thousand word story that was visual enough for the illustrator to kind of create cool pictures around it is a whole different thing. Um, uh, in the children's book world, you know, it's very easy to do the text. But my, I, I would, you know, I would argue that if you have a brilliant illustrator, that's what's going to make the story resonate, you know, in terms of these young readers, because, of course, they're used to visual stuff, you know, from school, you know, classroom stuff. So, so I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I, I, I picked a children's book idea. Um, I don't have to use three syllable words. They're all little <laughs> short words in my stories. And, and they're only, you know, 30 pages long. It's not a novel that I have to kind of construct. So it's, it's, it's easy from that perspective. I got to tell you, I'm so proud of you. Like, the fact that you had the courage to follow this, right? Like we're probably in this and I don't mean to stereotype, but like, like our, what are we, Jen, somebody, um, but to take, to take the risk and to invest and you're like serving kids in the world and, and not stuck in the trenches of, oh, I need to do X, Y, Z. I love that you had an open mind for that. And that you took that leap of faith instead of just doing the traditional nine to five. So that's just so impressive. I have to acknowledge that, Ken. Well, you know, I, I would push back a little and say that everybody has a story within them that they can tell. I mean, if you've done something for 10 years or five years um, as part of your day to day or your work or your job or your, or your school, whatever, if you've done that similar things for that amount of time you're pretty good 
terms of efficiency, you're pr a pretty good expert at what you're doing. So, so if you have an interest in communicating what that expertise is to other people, or you just want to kind of put it down and, and, and sort of let it out as an, you know, as a, um, as a creative thing for yourself and then maybe give copies to your family, whatever. But I mean, everyone's got a story, but you know, that they can write about that other people might also be interested in reading about. So, so, you know, to write your, your memoir or to write, you know, a novel about a fictional character that um, sort of uh, lives the same life that you've lived and your expertise and experiences, I mean, is, is a generally a fun thing to do for the most part. Um, now, whether you turn that into a business is a whole different thing. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I a lot of people will write a story just to kind of get it out, right, to get out what they're what they're sort of what they want to express to their friends and families and and even to make it more important to, for them to understand themselves what they've just been through you know as even if it was a bad experience versus a good experience you know any of that stuff so i mean there's a there is a story in you it's just a question of writing it down and and just kind of letting it kind of happen organically um and then you try you can self-publish you don't even need a publisher you, know, yeah, you can do that yourself key. on Amazon. You, know, you could publish your own book on Amazon for nothing, right? So it's 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 those it's all that stuff. It, it's easy to do if that's one outlet that you want to have. But you have to take the action, and that's what I'm trying to. Yeah, that's is, true. Yeah, you're right. Everybody has a story, but not everybody um, does the things, finishes right. the steps, and then there's the piece. Like I said, I had I never really thought about fiction. You know, but but you embraced it, and and like you said, it's a niche, and it's benefiting people. So I love that part, right? It's not a self help book. It's not a nonfiction self help book, but yeah. yet you're still impacting people's lives in this beautiful way. So I just needed to acknowledge that. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's appreciated. <laughs> yeah. So as far as so we're gonna get everybody addicted to reading now yes. like, like that should yeah. be the new norm um, so tell me some other like tips and tricks like grace would can you give us some like practical examples of how a grace might inspire a child or a family um sure um so we we approach grace um as the boss so she's the boss of all her friends so initially um so it was like a girl power kind of an approach um that i started out with and then we we specifically um, developed all the characters of her friends to reflect the personality and and the society that we live in. So there's a you know a black character, there's an Asian character, there's a, a white you know Grace, there's a, a oh, I mean a white Harry, and then Grace is kind of um, almost Indian looking in terms of her, her complexion. So so I mean we try to be diverse and be sensitive to kind of the people that are out there that are going to read the right for kids. It's not just for little white kids who might be privileged. You know it's it's for you know any kid that wants to learn how to read and and use Grace as a way to kind of help them do that. So so that was sort of the formula that we started out with, and then the stories then became. Um, something that were just fundamentally good values to to kind of pass along to kids that were learning how to read so the first book uh the winter book musical adventures of grace winter story shows the transformation from grace as a grace note to grace as a little girl um and then they they see all the fun stuff with the concert 
Um, the musical adventures of Grace Spring story is where she meets Harry and Fortissimo, who are um, adopted brothers. Uh, one's black and one's a white guy. And and Harry plays the saxophone, and Fortissimo is a, is a percussion um, guy who likes likes to play drums. So they meet Grace when they move across the street from her house. So her dog Arco, uh, which is an Italian word for bow, um, is is a way to kind of bring the three of them together. And they are waiting for spring to come because they've had a lot of snow. So so the magic of that story is that we use. Um, birds that are called trills, which is another musical term, but the trills are the ones that bring the sun to help melt all the snow, and then they're able to kind of go out and play outdoors where before they couldn't because of all the snow left over from the winter time. So I mean, basically that's it. And then musical Avengers of Grace summer story is an ex extension of that and another musical journey where they they talk and and, and meet. Um, a violin maker who lives in a forest and we bring back the conductor from the winter story because he's a friend of this violin maker that lives in the forest so they have a picnic outside and one of the things they learn is that when they're playing music under the willow tree the tree starts to dance or to to rustle its leaves and, and branches as they're playing music so it's just another magical piece of, of sort of what music can do all around you as you're kind of enjoying your life and, and having fun with your friends. So, so that was the whole, so the, the first one was transformational from uh, grace note to a uh, grace little girl. The spring one was um, the value of friendship, meeting new friends, teamwork, and how to kind of bring the sun back so that the snow will melt. And then the summer story is, is an extension of that teamwork and friendship um, with the character of the willow tree sort of responding to friends playing together and playing music and having fun and doing all that. Kind of stuff. Oh, so, it's so brilliant. Yeah. So I tried, so we try to pull the thread through each of the stories that are, are kind of positive for little kids to experience as they're reading the story and seeing the characters kind of jump out on the page and do those, those sorts of things. Oh, I love it. Are you in bookstores? Like, um, yes. So, so we're in, um, we're in Barnes and Noble. We're in, um, I think that's Barnes. Oh, there's some on Amazon, but not all of them. Um, my publisher tells me not to do Amazon and it might be self-serving for them, but, but, um, they say it's, it's not worth your while because Amazon takes a lot of money off the top so that you don't get as much royalty back from the, when you sell a book, it's, you know, it's, it's, they're there to make money, not to kind of help you be an author. Where my guys, you know, will will help me be. They they take on all the costs up front to print the books and create the books, and then uh, then they pay me a royalty after they cover recover their costs of printing. So you know, if we sell a hundred books, you know, then we're good because then the rest is gravy. You know, in terms of, of of them and selling it. So we sell them on their website. We sell them on my website, and then. We do the typical traditional author stuff. I do book signing events um, in libraries. I do classroom reading sessions with teachers and librarians, um, which sometimes pay me for that. But but I really just want them to kind of get the books in the hands of the kids. So so we donate the books, and then they either cover the cost of the printing extra copies for the for the classrooms or whatever. But they're in libraries, 
um, like 17 libraries locally within the Chicago area. We ship them out to Chicago public schools through Bernie's Book Bank um, as a free donation for kids in Chicago public schools. Again, just to kind of get them new characters and new stories that they haven't seen before to kind of help them um, engage in the idea that reading is fun, you know, a fun thing to do and learn. So we're out there. It's just, um, you know, slow. <laughs> slow. Well, I'm glad I asked that because I wouldn't yeah. have thought of all those different avenues. So are, is your intention to expand beyond Chicago then in that way? Like, so, yeah. Okay. So, so, so my, yeah. So, so I have a pretty, a growing database of customers that come back and I have 10, you know, published titles so they can come back and buy one or two or three different, different stories if they like them. Um, we're getting involved in uh, more of the electronic world of reading for kids so that they can just do it on their tablets because the, the paper books were really for the grandparents and the uncles and the aunts and the bro older brothers and sisters to read at home um, or for doctor's office waiting rooms, you know, those kinds of things. But for the kids themselves, um, it's, it's good to put it electronic on the, on the tablets because we can then make it interactive. You know, Grace can come alive a little bit for them. So where we've had people come to us and say, hey, we should make a video game or, hey, we should do this, you know, about Grace and your friends. And, you know, I say, sure, sure, sure. Show me the money as Cuba Gooden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, so so the idea, the idea is to is to kind of um, create, create the the business was created, you know, a small business was created. And and my hope is that now that we have 10 published titles through my publisher, we can then translate them into any language out there. So we could print any any non-English language book and distribute them across the world, right? So that's that's kind of what the plan is. That is very cool. I have an idea too. So when we're when we get off the air, I'm gonna talk to you. Um, I love this because you this is so fun to just hear about like I wouldn't think of a PA being an author. Like your story is just pretty neat. Um so is there anything that I have not been curious enough about? I know part of our intention was to really dive into addiction, but I kind of had a little more fun hearing about grace. Yeah. Well, I mean, the addiction piece is, 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 is from the obesity angle, right? So, so, you know, if we can get kids through grace's stories to eat more healthier foods, to cut back on their, um, their high carbohydrate diets, the convenient foods that they get in fast food places or anything like that, um, grow their own little gardens. We have, there's a couple of clinics that I've worked at that have gardens outside the clinic to encourage that very thing of, of growing your own fruits and vegetables as a way to kind of improve your wellness um, as, as, as a family. And the community gardens are out there too, for that same reason. You know, it, it's just to kind of bring this, this wellness and this, this healthy lifestyle decision-making kind of in a way that's, you know, reality-based for that in a way that's not hard for them to uh, tap into. Yeah. I think COVID actually, that was another gift of COVID because I used to sell seeds. Like that was one of the categories I managed. And okay. during the COVID craziness, you couldn't keep seeds in stock. So people started to embrace that, right? Because they're a fear of the food shortage. Now, Obviously, I don't want people living in fear, but it got people more proactive about it. And we and we saw a lot of um, residual and including the kids. I mean, to right. to to watch things blossom. I mean, flowers and plants are just magical anyway. So that's that's brilliant. So um, 
so are we good? I'm trying to think if I forgot anything. I'm I'm so excited for this. This is fun. I want to like go read them all now. Yeah, no, go on. Uh, I can get, well, hey, let me give you the websites. That's probably uh, an easy thing. So so you can go to Eckerts.com is the publisher site. E-C-K-H-A-R-T-Z press.com. One word, you know, no spaces. And then my site is littlehealthambassadors.com. And um, if people come to my site, we give them autographed copies of each book that they buy. If they go to the publisher's site, um, they don't get an autographed copy. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, that's that's good to know. Um, it's interesting too. You taught me something about. I'm actually going to have to put this on Recovery Entrepreneur Show too because. I think it crosses over and I think there's a lot of people in that space that would be really curious. You shared a lot of gold nuggets about the process and, and some different tricks about books and publishing. Um, I do a workshop, you know, to, to help people too, but it's very therapeutic for, you know, people that would be recovering to tell us, to tell a story. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the whole healing process that people, you know, from the adult point of view can, they don't have to write children's books. They can write, you know, a little case case study about themselves or about a friend of theirs who recovered or or somebody who struggled but then succeeded i mean you could do all kinds of interesting scenarios you know as, as a as a recovering addict for those types of things it's interesting you say that because i interviewed a fellow yesterday that has long-term alcohol-free addiction um recovery and he took the i'm gonna probably mess up how you say it the dow dowdy chang book you know, the book that's mm. as big as the Bible, um, no. but it's Chinese. Mm. Okay. Well, it's, it's one of those kind of books and um, he took it and um, wrote a book kind of communicating it through the lens of his recovery journey. Uh, I'm three quarters of the way done with one that I'm going to call recovery rock bottom. And it's about not gambling and drinking when all the worst things that happened in my life happened in two years, you know? Um, so you're right. I, I, I think that everybody does have a piece to tell for sure. Well, and it's a way to celebrate, which is kind of the bottom line. You know, grace is a way to celebrate the fun of, of learning how to read, the fun of, of learning music vocabulary at a younger age than middle school, and the fun of being your own sort of health expert as, a, as a, that you can teach your family and friends about. So it's, it's kind of fun. It is kind of fun. Well, I had a wonderful time spending time with you, Ken. Thank you. I appreciate being with you. This is great. Yeah, thank you. Good. If you're not mine.